When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Where did all these police cars come from? There's one parked across the road in front of the minicab, and a couple more behind to the right. The driver just got out and made a run for it, and a load of police officers in bulletproof vests are pointing guns at me. The closest one shouts, Throw the gun out of the car and then get out with your hands up. Fuck, are they talking to me? What gun? This one on the seat, I guess. Alright, I'm throwing it out now. Now get out of the car with your hands up and kneel on the ground. Where am I? What's happening? I get out and kneel on the road with my hands on my head and immediately feel a boot in my back and hands taking hold of mine. My face hits the wet tarmac of Camden High Street. How did a pop star with multiple number one albums and singles get into a situation where he was being arrested for causing criminal damage and threatening the public with a firearm? More importantly, why couldn't he remember doing any of these things? let alone where the gun had come from. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Band Biographies is proud to present the continued adventures of Adam Ant. A few months after the split of Adam and the Ants, Adam Ant launched his solo career. Marco Peroni stayed with Ant, continuing their working relationship as co-songwriters. Chris Merrick Hughes also briefly stayed on as drummer and producer of the first solo single, Goody Two Shoes, before joining the reformed post-punk band, Dalek I Love You. And he went on to achieve massive success in his production career, especially with Tears for Fears. Terry Lee Mile and Gary Tibbs' contracts were left to expire. Goody two, goody two, goody goody 
There are two versions of the single cover of Goody Two Shoes. The first has Adam and the Ants emblazoned across the top of the sleeve, and the other, later version, has just Adam Ant. The confusion likely stemmed from the fact that the song was performed by three-fifths of the original band. There are also two different studio versions of the song. The UK 7-inch single version is notably different from the re-recorded version which appears on the album Friend or Foe. It has a different, more reverberating drum track recorded by Hughes. The Friend or Foe version features Bogdan Witchling on drums, as does the rest of the album. Goody Two Shoes was released as a single on the 7th of May 1982, and Ant performed it on top of the Pops on the 20th of May, where he became the first artist to dance alongside dance troupe Legs & Co. He was given free reign to design the set. In fact, he designed three separate sets that he moved between, and the costumes he and the dancers would wear, and was able to practice the choreography with Legs & Co. He was desperate that his first solo single got to number one, after the perceived failure of Ant Rap, which peaked at just number three. The video, again directed by Mike Mansfield, presents a stylized version of a day in the life of Adam Ant, from dressing in the morning, to performing on stage, to being hounded by the media. At the end of the day, he takes home a journalist, played by British Hammer Horror and Bond actress Caroline Monroe, after the part had been turned down by Faye Dunaway. In effect, answering the song's theme question, what do you do? The video also starred veteran actors Graham Stark, who played Sergeant Hercule LeJoy and Dr August Balls in the Peter Sellers Pink Panther movies as Ant's Butler, and Dandy Nichols, the long-suffering wife of TV comedy character Alf Garnett, as his cleaner. Goody Two Shoes entered the chart at number two. CBS was happy, but Ant was furious. He needed a solo number one so that he could branch out into acting, safe in the knowledge that he could come back to music whenever he wanted. He then went about appearing on as many TV shows as he could in a bid to push the song up the charts. By the third week, his efforts paid off, and Goody Two Shoes finally made the top spot. It also went to number one in Australia, number seven on the US mainstream rock chart, 12 on the Hot 100, and number 13 in Holland. Ant was finally satisfied, and felt calmer and more confident to move forward as a solo pop star and budding actor. Ant and Peroni had already been producing demos of songs that would make up the first Adam Ant solo album, Friend or Foe. The sound of the songs was deliberately unlike that of Adam and the Ants. They included more Motown-style horns, rockabilly guitars, and more straightforward drum sounds. The additional musicians on the album included Bogdan Witchling, who had drummed in a band called Fingerprints with a Z, Martin Drover on trumpet and flugelhorn, and Jeff Daly on saxophone, with Jude Kelly singing vocals on the song Desperate But Not Serious, and Sam Brown, Sonia Jones and Vicky Brown performing backing vocals on the song Hello I Love You. The second single to be released was the title track from the album, Friend or Foe, and was released on the 11th of September 1982, a month ahead of the album. Ant directed the video himself, as he wanted to give it a go. 
it loosely tells the Adamant story, with a couple of surreal parts with a pantomime cow. Ant and Peroni feature in the video wearing an array of costumes, based on gypsy-style fashion. He also learned how to tap dance for this video, to truly cement himself as the song and dance pop star he wanted to portray himself as. Mike Mansfield met with Ant upon seeing the video, and the pair agreed that Mansfield would be back on directorial duties for the next single. The single Friend or Foe peaked at number 9 in the UK, number 19 in Holland and 49 in Australia, but Ant had more on his mind than his chart success at this point. His stepmother had just died, and he was getting a touring band ready to perform the new material for a UK tour. Alongside Wixling on drums, Ant recruited Char Burns on guitar, as Peroni didn't want to tour anymore. Burns had also been in fingerprints with Wixling. Bass duties went to Chris Constantino, who Ant rechristened Chris De Niro. A second drummer called Barry Watts from blue-eyed soul band Q-Tips, as well as Q-Tips' whole brass section, trumpeter Tony Hughes and twin saxophonist Stuart Van Blandammer and Steve Farr were recruited. Pironi didn't attend the rehearsals, leaving Ant to teach the entire band the new songs, which solidified his position as the band's leader. The new lineup made its debut at the Astoria on the 1st of October 1982, during which Peroni got up on stage during the encore. The music press wasn't enamoured by the new Adam Ant show, and even went so far as to say that he was copying Dexy's Midnight Runners, as they had recently changed their style from suits and berets to dungarees, braces and flat caps, and had incorporated a horn section into the band so Ant redesigned his band's costumes. On the 11th of October, the Friend or Foe album was released. It peaked at number 5 in the UK, 16 in the US, 36 in Switzerland, 42 in Holland and 60 in Australia. Smash Hits' David Hepworth gave it a 7 out of 10 rating, and Robert Christgau in his Consumer Guide gave the album a B- review, saying, Telescoping into a year and a half, the kind of career that used to take a decade, Adam fires his group, hires some horns, and tops off his meretitious, arrogantly bombastic flop follow-up with some ruminations on life's little ups and downs. The first surprise is that four of these are arrogantly catchy. The second surprise is that all four dwell elusively in the title tune on Adam's status as victim of the press, a theme that was death to rock and roll in a less self-conscious age. He still has trouble with real life though, which is probably why the rest bombs. In a retrospective review in 2018, AllMusic's Stephen Thomas Erlewine counters Chris Gow in his 4 out of 5 review, saying, Since these are deliberate pop trifles, several critics laughed off Ant as a silly lightweight, but that's missing the point. These are intentionally tongue-in-cheek tunes, delivered with an excess of flair and good humour. Though Friend or Foe does lose momentum on the second side, and the cover of The Doors' Hello I Love You falls a little flat, this is good, giddy fun, one of Ant's best records, and one of the best New Wave albums. On the 4th of November, Adam Ant began a short tour of the UK before embarking on his first solo tour of the US, which began in New York on the 8th. On the 19th, the third single from Friend or Foe was released, called Desperate But Not Serious. 
which only reached number 33 in the UK and number 66 in the US. However, friend or foe the album and the single were both climbing. Despite starting out in tiny venues at the beginning of the tour, by the end they were playing extra nights and bigger rooms, culminating in a gig at the Palladium in LA where the Doors guitarist Robbie Krieger joined the band on stage to play their cover of Hello I Love You. After a break over Christmas, the band went back for a bigger tour of America that would last through to the end of March. Just nine days into this tour, on the 20th of February 1983 in Cleveland, Ohio, Ant suffered a knee injury on stage, a relapse of the injury he sustained while filming Jubilee way back in 1977. He described the incident in his autobiography, The pain was terrible. Three songs into the set and my knee had exploded. It felt as if someone was sticking a red-hot poker into it. As Ant was helped off stage, the audience had no idea what had happened. Ant was adamant that he was going back to finish his set. A doctor gave him a couple of Tylenol and 20 minutes later he continued playing, hopping around on one leg. He was forced to postpone or cancel dates throughout February and March while he got better, and during this time he began writing new songs with Peroni reading film scripts to see if there was anything out there that he wanted to appear in, as well as record a version of the Supremes' Where Did Our Love Go that he was to perform at the Motown 25th anniversary show being filmed on the 25th of March. I've got this burning, burning, yearning feeling inside me. The show included performances by Stevie Wonder, The Four Tops, The Temptations, Mary Wilson, The Supremes, Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson and so many more. Where did our love go? Ant had to follow Michael Jackson who performed Billie Jean, debuting the famous moonwalk with his diamond socks and matching single glove. No pressure. Ant moved gingerly across the stage, trying not to put too much weight on his recovering knee. Suddenly, halfway through the song, the crowd went wild as he was joined on stage by Diana Ross. In a state of shock, Ant managed to move himself across the stage to perform next to her. He resumed his US tour four days later, completing it on the 18th of May at the Bronco Bowl in Dallas, Texas. After this, Anton Peroni flew to Paris to start work on the follow-up album, Strip. After writing and completing several new songs, including Puss in Boots and Strip, the demos of which Ant sent to Phil Collins to produce along with Hugh Padham, Anton Peroni travelled to Stockholm in Sweden to record the album. The songs on Strip are less rock-oriented than Ant's previous albums, and more grounded in pop and dance. All the songs on the album are about women, sex, love and romance. Ant changed his appearance to match some of the more mature themes on the album as well. The cover photo for Strip was based on the famous image of actress Jane Russell from the 1943 film The Outlaw draped across a hay bale in a white blouse. Phil Collins plays drums on Puss in Boots and Strip. He and Padden persuaded Annefried Lingstadt of ABBA to perform the female spoken word section in the song as well. Ant met Benny and Bjorn during these sessions and they asked him to write a song for the soundtrack for the film Chess which they were scoring at the time. 
Though he did record a song, it never made the album. In June, with enough work done on Strip, Adam took some time off and flew to LA to relax and look at kickstarting his movie career. While he was there, he visited Michael Jackson at Neverland and began a chaste courtship with Jamie Lee Curtis. Returning to Sweden, he and Peroni worked some more on the new album, including the visuals for the videos for Puss and Boots and Strip, and planning the next American tour. As Collins and Padden weren't available to produce the whole album, they brought in Spandau Ballet's producer Richard Burgess to finish the job. The video for Puss in Boots didn't come together quite as planned. None of the actresses he wanted to perform in the video were available, and the costume designer couldn't deliver the prosthetic wrapped face mask for Ant to wear in time. CBS then got cold feet and made Ant slash the budget from £50,000 to £35,000. In the end, the video worked, and when the single was released in mid-October, it went to number 5 on the UK chart, 22 in Holland, and 84 in Australia. Ant then went back to LA to promote the album and rekindle his relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis. The album, Strip, was released on the 7th of November and was met with a lukewarm response from critics and fans alike. Ian Birch wrote in his 6 out of 10 smash hits review that the songs on the album feature a new and much fresher style, specifically noting more thoughtful writing, more adventurous arrangements, and sharper singing, while the obsession with sex gets a bit ridiculous, but if you keep a good sense of humour, it soon fades into the background. An extensive tour of the US was undertaken to promote the album, beginning in January 1984. To incentivise the success of Strip on the American chart, Ant struck a deal with his tour manager Michael Clefman that would give Clefman a bonus if the album peaked within the top 20 on the US Billboard 200. During the shows on this tour, which was the biggest American tour of Ant's entire career, he would walk out on a vine-covered bridge suspended above the audience and get in a Houdini-style immersion tank, emerging wearing only black shorts during the song Strip. During this tour, the single Strip was released in February, but it only reached number 41 in the UK chart and number 42 in the US. By April, two-thirds of the way through the tour, Ant and Lee Curtis were growing apart. She wanted total control of her life, which included relationships, but Ant didn't want to become a kept man. He also filmed a TV commercial with Grace Jones for Honda motorbikes. Additionally, he was offered a part in the John McTiernan movie Nomads, where he would play the part of a gang leader. McTiernan had picked out a garish punk outfit for Ant to wear, but Ant was attached to an ankle-length duster coat and refused to wear what the director wanted. Subsequently, Ant's scenes were cut to one long shot where Pierce Brosnan hits him over the head with a tyre iron. Perhaps Adam Ant's Hollywood career would never happen. After the strip tour finished, 
Ant reduced his band to a quartet, himself, Pironi, Wixling and Constantino. The latter two were upgraded from live backing musicians to being full-time band members and began featuring on record sleeves, logos and even in song lyrics. In July 1984, Ant and the band had started working on the songs that would make up their third album. He hired producer Tony Visconti, famous for his work in the 1970s with Ant's heroes Mark Bolan and David Bowie. The session didn't go particularly smoothly though. Visconti said in a Q&A on his website in 2002, What a creative ball of energy. He was great to work with. He's very opinionated and knows what he wants. We didn't quite agree during the mixes, he kind of wanted everything a bit trebly, and I'm a bassy kind of producer. In September, the first single from the album, Apollo 9, was released, which, thanks to a lot of promotion, reached number 13 on the UK singles chart. Just before Christmas that year, he was approached by Miles Copeland, the head of the IRS record label and brother of the police's drummer Stuart. Miles wanted to manage Ant and he took him to Hawaii in January of 1985 to get some meetings done with record companies and movie studios, which impressed Ant, so he duly signed Copeland up. In July, Ant was asked to perform at the Live Aid concert the first live performance of the new four-piece band, but he was asked to cut his set to just one song as the show was overrunning. He chose his new single, Viva La Rock, the title track of the forthcoming album. Ant later claimed he regretted playing Live Aid, saying, I was asked by Sir Bob to promote this concert, they had no idea they could sell it out. Then in Bob's book he said Adam was over the hill so I let him have one number. Doing that show was the biggest fucking mistake in the world. Knighthoods were made, Bono got it made, but it was a waste of fucking time. It was the end of rock and roll. The Viva La Rock single only managed to peak at number 50 in the UK and number 29 on the US dance chart, despite Visconti's production making it sound like a 1970s David Bowie song. There was no time to dwell on this though, because Ant was set to make his stage acting debut that month, playing in a production of Joe Orton's Entertaining Mr Sloan at the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester, which had been facilitated by his ex-girlfriend Amanda Donahoe. The album Viva La Rock was released in September of 1985, an entire year after the first single, to mixed reviews, except one five-star review in Kerrang of all places. Ant decided that Viva La Rock's failure was largely down to his record label being unwilling to work heavily on promotion for it. The album's performance left him depressed and unenthusiastic about his future in music, 
so he moved back to LA to concentrate on his acting career instead, severing all ties with CBS following the release of the Hits album and VHS compilation. He did manage to get roles in various TV shows and films in 1986 and 87, in which he mainly played villains. On the 4th of June 1986, Ant's father was sentenced to two years in prison for committing gross indecency against a minor after a 13-year-old boy had accused him of making improper suggestions to him in July two years earlier. I was in rehearsals and I got told, you know, your dad's been arrested for um, indecent uh, behaviour with a, a minor and I was just completely, you know, because I had very strong... I have very strong personal feelings about any kind of child abuse. And uh, my family were hurting really bad. I just took care of them and um, let it run its course, really. He went to jail, served his time, worked in the library. They let him out. It killed him, though. He died about a year after. Yeah, got dead. By May in 1987, Ant was continuing to act, but had also started to resurrect his music career without much success, including getting new management after parting ways with Miles Copeland. He eventually signed to a new management company called Loot, who signed him with MCA and put him in a studio with producer Andre Simone, a protégé of Prince who'd had a hit with the Prince pen song The Dance Electric in 1981, and who had produced Jodie Watley's debut eponymous album and the first single, Looking for a New Love, in January 1987. The songs Ant and Simone wrote were far more dance-oriented than anything Ant had put out before. Ant described them as sounding like Parliament Funkadelic meets Dean Martin. He also wrote songs with Brian Setzer of Stray Cats and Kevin Rowland of Dexy's Midnight Runners as Peroni was playing in and producing a band called Max, as well as working with Sinead O'Connor on her debut album, The Lion and the Cobra, so was unavailable. In the summer of 1988, Ant was trying to keep busy, to try distracting himself from the fact his acting work was drying up, the stress with his father's prison sentence, and that the music wasn't really working either. With little else left to do, he began painting people's walls again like he had when he was starting out with Adam and the Ants. A year later, in the summer of 1989, Pironi was finally free to write with Ant again, along with Simone. The trio began to record and mix what would become Ant's fourth studio album, Manners and Physique, at O. Henry Sound Studios in Burbank, California. Simone played all the instruments but the guitars, which Peroni played, and Ant sang all the vocals except a few backing vocals, which were provided by Melanie Andrews. Before the album was put out, the lead single Room at the Top was released on the 5th of February 1990. 
it, like the rest of the songs Ant and Peroni were writing with Simone, was styled on the Minneapolis sound that Simone had pioneered while working with Prince. It also meant a more mainstream look, with Ant appearing in suits in the videos and artwork. The song's lyrics talk about the trials and tribulations of being famous, a now well-trodden theme of Ant's work. It reached number 3 on the US dance charts, and at number 17 on both the Modern Rock and Billboard Top 100. Back in the UK it peaked at number 13. The video for Room at the Top was directed by Daniel Kleinman, the ex-singer of Bazooka Joe, Ant's first band, who had transitioned into music video directing, and is probably most famous for directing each of the Bond title sequences since Goldeneye in 1995, with the exception of the one for Quantum of Solace. The album Manners and Physique was released in March and was dedicated to Ant's acting agent Anne-Marie Dollard, who had died in a riding accident a couple of years previously, which had contributed to the drying up of his acting work of late. The album peaked at number 19 in the UK and number 57 in the US, despite low ratings by critics. In 1992, the Rolling Stone Album Guide wrote in its 3 out of 5 rated review that it traded on the skills of ex-Prince cohort Andre Simone, whose production helped it work as a mix of British glamour pop and Minneapolis R&B. Spin's Alternative Record Guide, published in 1995, gave the album a 2 out of 10 rating, and later AllMusic reviewer William Ruhlman gave the album 2 out of 5, saying that some of the lyrics had his old flair for mockery, but, like most dance music singers, he came off as only part of the production rather than its focus. Nevertheless, it was a big improvement over 1985, when he looked washed up. Due to the relative success of the first single and the album, MCA decided to rush out the next single, Can't Set Rules About Love, straight away in the UK only. But the release wasn't properly promoted, and the song reached just number 47. To make up for this, MCA stumped up $130,000 to make a video for the third single, Rough Stuff, in June. However, by June, Ant was arguing with his girlfriend, seeing other women, and not feeling particularly good about things. You Compounding this was the slow pace of filming for the video to Rough Stuff, which involved a lot of choreography and acting with a troupe of women dancing in skimpy boxers outfits and highway patrol uniforms. He'd also been on an intense tour doing mall performances in the US where he was miming whichever single was being promoted at the time, in the same way that a lot of young American pop stars like Tiffany were doing. Rough Stuff failed to chart anywhere except the US dance chart, where it reached a respectable number 14. 
Being back in the charts with his last few singles and the album Manners and Physique meant that Ant was back in demand. His theatrical agents were receiving film scripts for him to read for the first time in two years, and the record company told him that they expected a new album in January of 1991, which gave him about six months. He was also asked to join a video production company as a pop video director. He made one video for the song How Long by the synth pop act Information Society. However, no one involved with the video was happy with it, and after months of work, it was scrapped. In September 1990, Ant began working on new material with Chic's bassist Bernard Edwards in New York and Cameo's frontman Larry Blackman in Miami. By the end of the year, Ant had six songs written, not quite enough for a full album, but certainly enough to start recording in the spring of 1991 with Edwards producing. The album was called Persuasion and found Ant returning to a more traditional rock sound with the songs written by him, Edwards and Peroni, with Peroni playing guitars, except for guest guitar on the track Little Devil, which was played by Blackman. Ex-Ant Lee Gorman played bass and drums were performed by Sheik's Tony Thompson and ex-Rutz drummer Dave Ruffy, whom Peroni had worked with while producing for Sinead O'Connor. Ant had changed management both in music and film and had landed the role in a Dennis Hopper movie originally called Midnight Heat but later released as Sunset Heat which was to be filmed in the second half of 1991. As it turned out this was lucky because Edwards was so meticulous that it took weeks for him to hand over the tapes for each track he was working on for the new album. In Sunset Heat, Ant plays a biker named Danny who steals $1 million from Dennis Hopper's character, a drug dealer named Carl Madsen, before being murdered. He was then offered a lead role in a comedy vampire film called Love Bites, playing a vampire called Zachary Sims, who wakes up after a hundred years and finds a couple living in his house and that the world had changed a lot in the last century. Not only did his character start a love affair with the lead female character, played by Dallas's Kimberly Foster, but Ant began a real-life relationship with her as well. After Love Bites wrapped, MCA told Ant that they were refusing to pay for a final mix on the Persuasion album until they'd heard each of the finished tracks. Ant got his manager, Bennett Freed, to pay for the final mix. However, his relationship with Gordon took his mind off all that stress, and he got a part on stage in LA in a production of West by Stephen Burkhoff. But he was brought back down to earth when MCA was bought out by the Matsushita group at the end of 1991, which decided to jettison all acts that hadn't sold gold disc numbers. This included Adam Ant. So Ant embarked on a set of meetings to get MCA to pay to finish the recording of Persuasion, which he believed to be his best work yet, while also retaining ownership of the album himself so he could sell it to another record label. 
He'd also noticed that his UK bank account was missing around £60,000 for no reason he could think of. He fired Freed and re-employed Miles Copeland. He then got an acting part in Tales from the Crypt and produced a stage play called Bebopalula, the story of Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran, which ended up taking a lot of his time. By May of 1992, Anton Peroni had written a song called Wonderful, which Copeland suggested would be great as a duet with someone like Kim Wilde or Vanessa Paradis, but Ant disagreed and kept on writing with Peroni and his new acquaintance Boz Bora, who'd been in the rockabilly band The Polecats and was currently in Morrissey's solo band. Along with Dave Ruffy, this new unit began playing old Adam Ant songs and writing new ones together. Copeland was beginning to get places with regards to a new record contract with EMI and was still trying to sell the idea of a duet to Ant. Ant floated the idea of singing a duet version of the Johnny Thunders song You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory, but this never materialised. The deal with EMI included songs and albums being released in the US by IRS Records, which happened to be owned by Copeland. This would remain a bone of contention between Copeland and Ant, who wanted to be released through a bigger American label that wasn't making extra money for his own manager. In October 1992, Ant began receiving flowers to his LA home from a woman called Ruth Torres. After a while, she began turning up to the house, asking if he liked the flowers and if he remembered her. The pair had never met, but Torres said that didn't matter. She was a virgin and was waiting for him to ask her to be his wife. I was living with my girlfriend at the time and uh, then this Hispanic girl turned up one day and she just stood there very seriously and just said, you know, I am the one you love, we are married. Um, this person you're with is, you know, a whore and, um, you know, we're devoted. And, you know, don't, there's nothing you can say about it. Ant told her to leave and close the door on her. She didn't stay away long though. In fact, she began turning up at all hours of the day and night, shouting for him to come out and talk to her. She made him cakes and would leave them on the doorstep. I went out one day and I'd came, I came back and there was something that wasn't quite right and I, I went into the bedroom and I saw the door was open and it just didn't seem right. I thought, oh, maybe it's the dogs, I don't know. But um, I went in the kitchen and there was this cake on the... Uh, kitchen table and it just said, uh, had a note saying, get the whore out of the house. Ant contacted the police, who told him to keep a note of every incident and only call them again if she did anything dangerous, as if breaking and entering wasn't dangerous enough. In November, Torres made 40 appearances over the space of just three days, and after she started vandalising his garden and writing fuck off on his neighbour's car in chocolate sauce, Ant went to his lawyer, who suggested videotaping her next visit. With Danny Kleinman and Laurie Depp, Johnny Depp's first wife who had become friends with Ant while she worked as his makeup artist on Sunset Heat, as witnesses, he did just that. When Torres saw the camera, she began telling the story of her life, including her poor upbringing, the murder of her best friend in high school, all the while getting angrier and angrier while also stripping down to just her miniskirt and bra before the camera was switched off. 
As soon as the camera was put down, Torres left, waving and smiling as she went. The evidence on tape was enough for Torres to be arrested with a $100,000 bail. However, after just two weeks, she was released. Hearing this, Ant moved into a friend's house, sure she'd be back, and within two days, Ant's neighbours reported to the police that she was back outside his house again, causing distress, and she was arrested once more and kept in jail until her trial in January 1993. Ant then had a large metal fence erected around his property, shutters put on all the windows, and brought himself a gun. If you weren't depressed before you get a stalker, you will be when they're through. Because it drove me bonkers. Drove me nuts. In the middle of all this, K-Rock invited Ant to play at its Acoustic Xmas show at the Universal Amphitheatre two weeks before Christmas. Pironi flew over and practiced with Ant for a couple of days before the show. The Los Angeles Times reported, Making his first concert appearance for nearly five years, the English singer-turned-actor seemed genuinely overwhelmed by the wild response of young fans who sat patiently through the three preceding acts on the bill. That Christmas, he was invited to spend the day at Jack Nicholson's house, and in January had met and begun dating the actress Heather Graham. Following this, Ant put together a new band made up of Pironi, Bora, Ruffy, Bruce Whitkin and ex-Ant Dave Barbarossa, and embarked on a five-week US tour. Despite playing the smallest clubs he'd played since the earliest days of Adam and the Ants, he was determined that the tour was going to be fun, and without the pressure of worrying about how a new album or single was performing in the charts, it was. Despite renewed interest in Adam Ant and his new record deals with Capitol Records in the US and EMI in the UK, MCA was still unwilling to give up the master tapes of Persuasion. EMI suggested that instead, Ant should start work on a brand new album, which Ant Peroni and drummer John Reynolds, Sinead O'Connor's husband, began writing. Most of these songs are about Ant's new relationship with Heather Graham. In 2001, Peroni discussed Persuasion's non-release on adamant.net. You'll have to ask MCA about that. They refused to admit they even own it, and then they refused to license it at any price. First of all, I did not sign the deal with MCA, so I'm not too familiar with all the legal wranglings, but for some bizarre reason, basically they didn't like it at the time. The company itself was going through financial difficulties and changes, but the reasons why is best known to themselves. It sat on the shelf and we couldn't get it back. On stage at the Scala on the 30th of April 2010, Ant recalled the same events and announced his intention to release Persuasion with artwork by Jamie Hewlett soon. A concert at the Electric Ballroom scheduled for the 12th of August 2010 was due to have featured songs from Persuasion, but the gig itself never happened. Despite knowing that Torres had been imprisoned and banned from coming within 10 miles of him, plus the fact that California's anti-stalking laws had been changed because of his experience, Ant began feeling less safe and more unhappy as the months went by. The shutters on his windows made him feel like he was locked in and claustrophobic, making him scared of everything and nothing. His gun began speaking to him. How easy would it be just to take me out and pull the trigger? All this could be over. Flitting between London and LA for the rest of 1993 between the two things that made him happy, Heather Graham in LA and songwriting in London, 
Ant began to get the old familiar feelings of panic. He stopped sleeping because if he did, he would remain in bed for the rest of the next day, afraid that something terrible would happen, while knowing that the more he did stay in bed doing nothing, the less chance he had of getting himself out of these feelings of fear and self-loathing. By the end of 1993, Ant had asked Graham if she would move into a new house with him and begin a life together with marriage and children later down the line. She said yes, and they began planning their future. In January 1994, after having written 25 songs, Ant returned to London to start recording his fifth solo studio album, provisionally entitled Slapdash Eden, at Abbey Road Studios. During the recording sessions, those 25 songs were whittled down to 11 that would eventually appear on the album. The band, made up of Peroni, Bora and Ruffy, as well as Bruce Whitkin on bass and John Reynolds who played drums and programming on three of the tracks, played the songs live in Abbey Road Studio 2. During the recording sessions, Ant returned to LA to spend time with Graham and find a home for them to settle down in. He was also offered a part in a film called Sailor's Tattoo, acting alongside Alexandra Hall, who had starred in the adaptation of Stephen King's Christine, and Robert Hayes, who's best known for starring as Ted Stryker in the Airplane films, as well as pop stars and actors Grace Jones and Spandau Ballet's Martin Kemp. This sci-fi thriller, which was released in 1995 under the new title Cyber Bandits, is about characters that attempt to steal plans for a virtual reality weapon that can store people in a VR world from which they can't escape. The film didn't do well and hasn't been reappraised since either. On the 8th of April 1994, Ant and Graham moved into their new house together in Nichols Canyon, LA. The previous night Kurt Cobain had killed himself, and in his diary, an entry from that night gives an insight into Ant's mindset at the time. The singer from Nirvana blew his brains out last night, leaving a note. Boy, did he have some courage. First time I had an inkling that maybe something not quite right was the day that Kurt Cobain died, and I called him up about something, and he said, have you heard about Kurt Cobain? And I said, yes, yeah, stupid twat. Like, you know, blows his own head off idiot and he, and he said no it takes a lot of guts to do something like that and I sort of thought well, I didn't say anything I said oh, maybe and I put the phone and I thought what does that mean that's a really odd thing to say after cyber bandits wrapped shooting Ant booked a flight back to London on June the 1st but he missed the flight after waking up feeling fearful and lacking the energy to get himself out of bed let alone to the airport to get on a plane to England the next night, though, he was hit with an intense burst of energy and creativity which had him up all night writing scripts and songs and the visuals for Slapdash Eden. Two days later, this manic episode ended with him and Graham on a plane travelling to his house in London where he promptly crashed out and slept for 24 hours, leaving Graham confused. After a couple of days of Ant shivering and whimpering and asking her to just hold him, Graham made him an appointment at the private Harley Street Clinic where he was seen by a doctor and was given a prescription, but no diagnosis. For the next two weeks, Adam entered into a state where he stopped speaking and eating, leaving Graham to force-feed him his prescription pills while Peroni and other friends visited. By the 18th of June, he was beginning to come out of this stupor and started eating again. 
Graham had to leave to go back to work in LA and Ant went back to Harley Street where his doctor was unhappy with his progress and put it to Ant that he should consider being sent to a hospital. Remembering his time spent in hospital as a young man, Ant refused. Around this time, Ant met with esteemed photographer and director Anton Corbin to shoot the images that eventually made it to the cover of Ant's fifth album, now being called Wonderful. In his autobiography, Ant says, If you look closely, you'll see the public face of my illness. The cover image for Wonderful was taken in Regent's Park, with Ant stood in front of a rose bush. It's a black and white image with a slightly dishevelled ant looking off to his right, with a strained and suspicious look on his face. Shortly after this, Ant headed back to LA to be with Graham, but as soon as he got there he collapsed again, unable to speak. Graham, at her wit's end, called a friend of Ant's, Michael Cox, to fly out from England to try to talk to him. When Cox saw the state Ant was in, he got him dressed and took him to the Cedars Sinai Medical Centre, where he stayed in the psychiatric ward for two weeks, having been diagnosed as bipolar, though at the time this was still known as manic depression. I was in a relationship with a very lovely actress, Heather, and I mean, she didn't know what hit her, you know, I mean, and uh, literally, you know, would come to this Cedar sinai hospital every day and, you know, hold my hand. I couldn't speak some of the time, you know, I couldn't speak. I, you know, I was, it's like, Depression, mental illness, depression certainly is like having a fist smashed right in your skull and someone implanting a Hieronymus Bosch style, your worst memories, your worst feelings, your worst terrors in your brain and then pulling the skull out and but you, no one, you know, it's there. Um, and a point you can't, you don't want to, you don't want to sort of eat, drink, make love, talk and and someone sticks with you, and, and, and it's very, very, very difficult. During his time at Cedar Sinai, the UK press had got word of him being admitted and began running lurid stories. He also told Graham to leave him and get on with her life without him, as he felt he was a burden to her. When he was deemed fit in July, Ant was flown back to London and admitted to the private Charter Nightingale Hospital where he was visited regularly by family and friends. By August he was back in his house in Primrose Hill and came to the same conclusion that he had come to the first time he had been admitted in 1976, that love was killing him and that he and Graham had to go their separate ways. Despite coming to this conclusion, he didn't tell Graham this, and she continued calling him throughout the autumn, while he was seeing psychotherapists and had begun making breakthroughs. He then began cancelling his life in LA and refusing to read any more film scripts. However, he also got into homeopathic treatments and even exorcisms, which in his fragile state he didn't question, nor did he question the price of these treatments but by the end of September he'd weaned himself off prescription medication and had begun appearing at private club events and even at a Vivian Westwood fashion show in Paris. At the end of October he was tempted to New York to appear in the film Drop Dead Rock, a comedy based around a rock band and rock stars, also starring Debbie Harry from Blondie. The reason he agreed to be in the film was that the producers were so desperate to have him in it. 
plus he was feeling good in himself. So good in fact that he called Graham to say he wasn't coming back to LA and that they really should go their separate ways. While in New York he celebrated his 40th birthday and began arranging a US tour for early 1995 to promote the release of Wonderful. In December, Ant was back in London filming the video for the first single from Wonderful, the title track, a lovelorn ballad about missing someone and regret. The tears he cries in the video are real, as he recounted all the struggles he'd suffered through that last year. The single was released in January, where it peaked at number 32 in the UK, 39 in the US, and 7 on the US modern rock chart. Anton Peroni appeared as guests at a Nine Inch Nails show on the 6th of January at the Nassau Coliseum in New York. We did the broken record, we did a cover of a song that I always thought was a really cool song. Nine Inch Nails' Trent Reznor has publicly stated he was a fan of Adam and the Ants growing up and had covered Physical on the band's first EP, Broken, in 1992. And, and as they Ant and Pironi played the songs Physical and Beat My Guest with the rest of Nine Inch Nails in front of 20,000 people. This got the pair excited about their upcoming UK tour in March. Ant's manager, Miles Copeland, issued an ultimatum that Wonderful was Ant's last chance and that if it flopped, he would have to start doing things Copeland's way. Ant fired him on the spot and went on a round of radio interviews in the UK and US to promote Wonderful, while Peroni arranged new management and cancelled the contract with Copeland. The album was released on the 5th of March and repositioned Ant as a more mature pop rocker with crafted songs that featured acoustic guitars as prominently as electrics. The album was a moderate hit, reaching number 24 in the UK, but just number 143 in the US. It was also the first Adam Ant album to be released in the US before the UK. The week-long UK tour that followed saw a renewed amount of attention and more requests for the guest list than Ant had seen in years. By the end of the tour he was tired though and had to have another operation on his knee after damaging his ligaments during a show in Dublin. He awoke on the 28th of March shaking and in fear again, but this time the girl he was seeing, Amy, gave him the attention and physical closeness he'd not been able to get from Graham. Ant then went to visit his old friend and ex-punk model Jordan at her house in Seaford on the south coast of England where he relaxed and got himself ready for the start of the US tour which lasted until June. The tour was a success, 
and though he and the band were playing smaller venues than they'd played in the 1980s, they were often packed with enthusiastic fans. Midway through the tour, Ant began to feel lethargic to the point he wasn't showering or changing his clothes between gigs. In New Orleans, he went to a hospital to be checked over, but all the tests came back negative. By the time they reached New York, Ant was barely able to sing, and Peroni had begun feeling ill as well. The pair were found to have contracted glandular fever, the symptoms of which are similar to depression. This brought the tour to a halt while they were made to quarantine for two weeks. Back in London over the summer, Ant got better and started regulating his mental health by taking low doses of prescribed antidepressants. The second single from Wonderful was Gotta Be A Sin, which was released in the UK only. It's a more upbeat, traditionally straight-ahead rock song, where Ant sings about the early days of a romantic relationship and how it feels so good it's got to be a sin. The song peaked at number 45 and was his last single release for 17 years. The end of 1995 saw Ant feeling the healthiest and happiest he'd been in a long time, and he spent Christmas with Jordan and her cats in Seaford. 1996 saw Ant return to both screen and stage, where he found himself acting in a TV movie called Face Down, the filming of which had been put back six months so he could appear in it, after he got his doctor to sign him off the previous September. He also appeared in another Joe Orton play, Funeral Games, which received negative reviews and sent Ant into a spiral in the second half of the year. His girlfriend Amy moved back to Brighton for a while, and he had a fit of hypermania at his mum's house, where he became incoherent and abusive. After this, he stayed with Peroni for a week while he got himself back together again. But in another bout of depression around Christmas time, he crushed 30 paracetamol into a glass of orange juice and downed it. Luckily, he instantly threw up, but this was the last straw for Amy, who left for good after making sure that he was okay. By the end of January 1997, he was on new medication and had entered into publishing talks with MCA again, who paid him an advance against future royalties. Although he wanted to make music once more, he was determined not to make the same mistakes as before. No extensive touring schedules and no rushing straight into a new album cycle. In March, his father died of a heart attack, and though the pair weren't close, Adam was saddened at the fact that his dad had died alone. Vivian Westwood invited him to another Paris fashion show where he met Lorraine Gibson, one of Westwood's PR team, and the pair embarked on a whirlwind romance that saw them fly out to Atlanta, Georgia, rent a car and drive until they got to Dayton, Tennessee, where Ant fell in love with a timber-framed house on a mountain which was for sale. He bought it the next week and proposed to Gibson, who said yes. Another couple of weeks later they were married. They brought a puppy and named her Vivian, 
bought a truck, two motorbikes and some vintage guitars, as well as beginning plans to build a studio in the house. After a couple of months, Gibson fell pregnant. It wasn't all bliss though, Ant still had the occasional down period, but when his daughter Lily was born in London in the spring of 1998, he realised he finally had a real reason to live and a true love in his life. Living back in the cramped Primrose Hill flat with all its bad memories was beginning to get to Ant, and after only a few months, Gibson and Lily moved out. Ant provided financial support, paying for their new home and living expenses, and checked himself into the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital under the care of his psychiatrist. For weeks, he couldn't find the strength to move or communicate, but knowing that he'd never get to see Lily again if he remained in this state, he slowly brought himself back around and began receiving visits from Gibson and Lily when he moved back into the flat. Over the next few years, Ant suffered from alternating bouts of depression and hypomania, and for the first time in his life, he stopped caring about his appearance, eating a lot of junk food and putting on weight. He also came face to face with another stalker, who told him she could hear him asking her over to his flat through the antenna he'd installed in her head. I started getting these very strange letters. Then I was just trying to get my daughter to sleep. Ring, 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 ring. Open the door, and there she is in it, and, and she just stepped into the doorway and wouldn't go away, just would not go away. She thought I'd planted a chip in her brain, and I was sending messages to her through the radio to come and see me and be with me. She came back time and time again for months until the police intervened after she scratched his face during an attack and she was put into psychiatric care. This had the adverse effect of sending Ant back into psychiatric care too. When he had his depression, I found out what depression was because his doctors told me. And I said, OK, I understand that. What they failed to say is there's another bit to it. There's the manic bit. During one hypermanic phase, Ant began drinking for the first time since 1978, and this habit eventually tipped over into his karma periods. Gibson tried to get Ant to sell the flat and move, fearing for their daughter's life, and she'd also begun filing for a divorce. In January 2002, Ant joined the 1980s nostalgia-themed Here and Now tour as the headliner over Belinda Carlisle and half of Spandau Ballet, but immediately felt it was a mistake. It must be awful when you've had uh, ideas in the first place that were slightly kind of uncompromising and about integrity and about being at the cutting edge of something, to realise that your future can only be in exploiting your, your, your back catalogue and that you're going to have to dress up in, in that silly costume with that silly makeup in a way that was okay when you're in your mid-twenties but isn't so okay when you're in your mid-forties. But you kind of know that people will take the piss out of you. Now, Adam, we have a chandelier behind you. No, just stick it up your jacket. I'm not doing it. Stick it up your bum. <laughs> How tempting. He began to feel the pressures of performing when he didn't want to be, and he'd started hiding his medication in a pillbox in his bathroom, thinking that the drowsiness the tablets caused was the reason for his misery. This culminated in an incident on the 12th of January 2002. The previous day, he'd gone to see a woman in Camden Market to make some clothes for him, and had given her his number so she could call him when they were finished. The woman's husband found the piece of paper and called Ant multiple times that night, accusing him of having an affair with his wife and threatening both him and Lily. 
on the morning of the 12th, Ant went down to Camden to find this man. People in the market told Ant that he would find him at the Prince of Wales pub, but when Ant arrived there, some of the pub's patrons made fun of his appearance, dressed as he was in a combat jacket, leather trousers, a white cowboy hat and blue tinted glasses. They finally told him that the man he was looking for wasn't there, and staff asked Ant to leave as the premises was a private members club. Before storming off, Ant angrily told all of them that he'd be back. Some hours later, not remembering quite where he'd been, he returned to Camden armed with his father's World War II era starting pistol and a car alternator which Ant threw through the pub window. The people who had jeered him earlier took chase until they eventually cornered him in a back alley. Ant pulled out the starting pistol and they all fled. Returning in a daze back to Camden High Street, still holding the starting pistol, he was spotted by a police officer who called for backup. Ant got into a minicab and told the driver to take him into Soho, but before the cab got 200 yards down the road, it was surrounded by police vehicles with flashing lights. Luckily for Ant, he was recognised by one of the officers who knew about his illness, so after being charged at the police station, he was taken to the Royal Free Hospital, where he gave them the details of his psychiatrist who arranged for Ant to be returned to his flat. Here he was met by a committee of friends and family who explained that they were all worried about him, and that he needed to take himself to hospital, or they would have him forcibly sectioned. Just remember it being bitterly cold, being scared out of my wits, and terrified that something bad was going to happen. It's like a dreamlike state, you know, in a dream you're kind of supposedly watching what's happening, and so it's a bit like that. And the next day, Sylvie calls me and said, he's in the police station. Well, I said, oh, great, well, what's he done? So he's gone into a pub with a gun and tried to hold it up. To the rich point, there is just like a silence because there is no, no words to find to, to, to express your kind of... You know, the only thing I could say was, oh, fuck. On January the 12th, Adamant came to this pub in Kentish Town. When he walked in, locals began taking the mickey out of him, whistling the theme tune to the film The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Adamant left but returned a few hours later armed with a starting pistol and part of a car engine a heavy alternator, which he said he had found in the street. Ant ran out of the house and back to Camden, where he was again arrested and taken straight back to the Royal Free Hospital and put on a secure ward. Once you swing up into the state of mania, life becomes incredibly chaotic. There isn't the same focus, and once things become chaotic and behaviour becomes chaotic, more bizarre, more reckless, more dangerous, and the person becomes a danger to themselves or other people, that's when things become critical and hospitalisation is needed. Ant initially refused to take any medication, and while doctors were trying to arrange his files, he managed to get to a payphone and call a couple of tabloid newspapers, claiming he'd been abducted by the police and was being held against his will in the Alice in Wonderland ward at the Royal Free. The ward he was on was actually called Alice. It was just turning into like the most, the most fantastic disaster. You know, it's like usually... So celebrities try and keep this stuff out of the paper and they have teams of people that you have to pay lots of money to try and keep this stuff out of the paper. 
What does he do? He gets to the hospital and phones the son up himself. Despite Peroni's best attempts to suppress the articles, the papers ran all sorts of stories on the state of Adamant. 80s pop star Adamant has been charged with assault Adamant and possession at the old today. Like 80s has been Adamant and we put him on the front page. The whole thing is like funny, it's tragic, it's exasperating, it's entertaining, it's everything all at the same time, it's depressing. It's funny and, and, and peculiar watching celebrities go through their real life and have these kind of terrible mishaps and these, these terrible moments that mostly would be private, but because he once upon a time was, was a pop star, we somehow, you know, bring him up to date, but only to enjoy his downfall, as if somehow we get something out of that. He was detained for a few weeks while his sedation was lifted and medication was prescribed. He began working with his psychiatrist to figure out what had triggered this last fit of hypomania and what his triggers were in general. It boiled down to not taking his medication, being tired and stressed, having to perform when he didn't want to, and being away from home for long periods of time. Another of Ant's fears was of being locked up, and he was seriously facing that prospect as he was due to appear at the Old Bailey to face prosecution. I just thought, all you've got to do is walk down this street, go up them stairs and go in and take your medicine. I know that the media are going to be there and uh, in a way I just try to work out ways to get through the door without them recognising me. He did call me up one day, he said, I've grown a beard. And I said, have you? He said, yes, I'm trying to be like Ernest Hemingway. Then we had a sort of discussion about the court case and I said, well, look, you know, I don't, I can't, you're not going to go to jail. You know, you were nuts. He said, yeah, I, I know you're right, but I'm still scared about it. And I said, yeah, well, don't blame you, really. And he said, I'll give you a call next week. And that was uh, sort of last time I spoke to him, really. It's my greatest regret in my life that I put my friends and my loved ones through it. Um, I feel... I never... You, you can never... I never, ever, ever... Um, be rid of the shame and, and, the hum and it, it showed me humility. The charges against him included criminal damage and threatening members of the public, though these were reduced to a single count of causing a fray to which he pleaded guilty. He was fined £500 and ordered into psychiatric care with a six-month suspended sentence. He then began a relationship with a designer he met named Claire, who helped him with his mood swings, and stuck around while he was being manic. However, because she lived in Oxford and ran her own company, she couldn't be around all the time, and Ant wasn't always taking his medication. In June 2003, he was arrested again after an argument with his downstairs neighbour resulted in Ant attempting to smash in that neighbour's patio door with a shovel, and afterwards running down the road to a cafe, where he went down into the basement, took off his trousers, curled up and went to sleep. Once again, he was charged with a fray and criminal damage and spent time in a psychiatric ward. In September of that year, he failed to show up to the trial and was sectioned under the Mental Health Act 1983 and spent a further six months receiving inpatient psychiatric care, undergoing various treatment and drug regimes. I think people tend to look at um, one flow of the cuckoo's nest and uh, except there's no Jack Nicholson and there's no sexy 
middle-aged nurse, none of that. There's nobody doing party pieces. It's not a sort of New York off-Broadway play. It's, uh, you know, people wanting to be dead, people wanting to jump out the window, people, you know. Um, you don't taste the food, you're not interested in sex, you're not interested in talking. You talk too much, the smell of piss, shit. The smell of death, really. Not good. During this time, Claire visited him on a nearly daily basis and gradually worked with him to bring him back to himself. He was released from the hospital in February 2004, and in June his case was heard at Highbury Magistrates Court, where he was granted a conditional discharge. In September 2006, he published his autobiography, Stand and Deliver, and went on a book signing tour of the UK. I think the book was kind of uh, a therapy in that. I was able to, you know, take, uh, try and identify where these things had, had started, you know, in my childhood, and later on, you know, through the work process, and then going to Los Angeles, and that, that was a very, you know, initially a good experience, but a bad experience also. And then kind of now... You know, dealing with it every day, you know, you have to think about it every day. It's not something to say, oh, you know, that, that's fine, that's over. You have to think, well, it is over, it's getting much, much better, things get much better. But, but take control of it, not let it take control of you. On the 4th of March 2010, Ant set up his own record label, Blue Black Hussar Limited, and he made his first live music performance in years at the Through the Looking Glass bookshop in London on the 18th at which he played Ant's Invasion, Car Trouble, Physical, and a cover of Iggy Pop's The Passenger. The next day, Ant guested at a gig by the hard rock band Zodiac, Mind Warp and The Love Reaction, during which he sang that band's top 20 hit, Prime Mover. Ant performed another low-key show at the Southwark Playhouse the night after that. In May, Ant was returned to psychiatric hospital, albeit in a comfortable regime, where he remained until mid-June, subsequently returning home under outpatient supervision. In a statement, Ant expressed his intent to perform further gigs later in the year, once his hospitalisation had ended. He performed some small guerrilla gigs that autumn, including a solo show at the Dark Mills Festival at London's Colour House Theatre on the 4th of September, the launch party of a cosmetics shop called Illamasca on the 16th, at which Boy George DJ'd, a guest spot at the Monster Raving Looney Party's annual conference in Fleet in Hampshire on the 25th, and a gig at the Union Chapel London on the 21st of October. <laughs> November, Ant headlined at the Scala. The gig received positive reviews, and three days later he again headlined there at a tribute concert for former Ant, Matthew Ashman, on a bill featuring other bands Ashman had been in, including Bow Wow Wow, Chiefs of Relief, Agent Provocateur, and Slam Cartel. Ashman had died 15 years earlier, at the age of 35, from complications arising from diabetes. 
Ant continued playing live in various London venues throughout December and into January of 2011, which he called the World Tour of London, culminating in a two-night stand at the 100 Club on the 26th and 27th. then went to Paris where he played some more low-key shows, his first gigs outside the UK in nearly 16 years. He then went on a full UK tour, again the first such event in 16 years, for the rest of 2011, which was covered by Dave Simpson in The Guardian as a hot ticket event with huge turnouts. One of the shows during this tour saw him play third on the bill below Rod Stewart and Stevie Nicks at Hard Rock Calling in Hyde Park, London, in front of an audience of 45,000 people. The first new Adam Ant song, Get A Grip, was released on a compilation album called Sex, Drugs and HIV. The song had been recorded a year earlier while he was on his world tour of London. A little like Ant himself at the time, it's a bit ragged and rough around the edges, and is a guitar solo drenched southern rock style blues tune. Get a Grip was never released as a single in its own right. Ant was due to start a 15-date North American tour in February 2012, but a few days into the new year, the tour was postponed until the autumn. This could have had something to do with his home being raided by the UK border police on the 16th of January, where a 36-year-old Japanese woman was arrested because she had overstayed her visa. Ant then took his band on a five-date tour of Australia in March and April, taking in Sydney, Perth, Melbourne, Adelaide and Brisbane. Although poor ticket sales forced the cancellation of the Adelaide gig, the other four concerts went ahead. The Sydney Morning Herald gave a positive 3 out of 5 star review of the opening Sydney date, noting, in a set plus two encores, the first cheered for, the second not really but played anyway, comprising 30 songs, it was kind of the equivalent of throwing a lot of makeup in the mirror and seeing what stuck. That summer saw Ant play on the UK festival circuit, and later in the year the postponed US tour went ahead, commencing on the 13th of September in LA and finishing on the 20th of October in Anaheim. In November, Ant began the Blue Black Hussar tour around the UK, during which he released his first single since 1995 called Cool Zombie, with Gun In Your Pocket as the B-side. In a 3 out of 5 star review, Sue Corston wrote on Everything Express, that Cool Zombie is the usual mix of art school pretension and silly pop posturing over a bluesy drum and guitar backing track. It's a mix of Dylan and the Stooges and some characteristic ant wailing in the background. It plods a bit, lacking oomph, but she admitted that ant still has some star quality. 
After its release, Cool Zombie only managed to reach number 154 on the UK singles chart, and as of mid-2021, it's the last single that he's released. A video for Cool Zombie was filmed on the 28th of October, with the NME running a competition, offering readers a chance to be an extra in the shoot. Also cast as costumed extras in the video were several security staff, combining their performances with their normal duties following threats by another known stalker that they would turn up to the video's location. The security guards said it was the first time they'd ever carried out protection work while dressed as Victorian dandies. The track was the cause of some controversy, as Ant and former Three Colours Red guitarist Chris McCormack were reported to have worked on it with former Oasis and BDI member Andy Bell. Bell allegedly at the behest of Liam Gallagher attempted to block Cool Zombie from being released. This led to a war of words between Ant and Gallagher. Later, Bell denied he'd been put under any pressure, saying, It was totally my decision not to allow the track to be used, and I'm annoyed at Liam being dragged into this situation which has nothing at all to do with him. Bell also gave further insight into the origins of the song, explaining that he and Ant have a mutual friend who I've played around on a track with, who then passed the music over to Adam without my knowledge. I then explained the track couldn't be used for his album, this was just a rough demo, and thought the matter was closed. Ant then mentioned in the press he had recorded with one of Oasis, but Liam Gallagher had banned the track from being used. Ant eventually re-recorded the song for the final release with two members of his live band, guitarist Tom Edwards and drummer Andy Woodard. On New Year's Eve 2012, Ant and his band appeared on Jules Holland's Hootenanny New Year music show, performing the track Vince Taylor, as well as Stand and Deliver and Ant Music. On the 21st of January 2013, Adam Ant's first album since 1995's Wonderful was released. Called Adamant is the Blue Black Hazar in Marrying the Gunner's Daughter, it had been started in August 2009, with Ant recording the songs on a laptop with Boz Bora. It was supposed to have been written with Marco Peroni, but the pair had separated in 2010. Despite this, Ant did re-record five tracks from a session in 1997 with Peroni. Four of these made the final tracklist, the songs Sausage, originally titled Call Me Sausage, Vivian's Tears, Hard Men Tough Blokes, originally titled Tough Blokes, and Punk Young Girl. McCormack co-wrote six tracks for the album, four of which appear on the final track listing. These are Cool Zombie, Cradle Your Hatred, Shrink and Bullshit. Ant explained that the idea behind the album's massive title was that the Blue Black Hussar was his classic Kings of the Wild Frontier era persona back from the dead, 
while the phrase marrying the gunner's daughter, an old naval term for a form of corporal punishment in which sailors were tied to a ship's cannon and flogged, was intended by Ant as a metaphor for how he believes artists are treated by the music industry. According to Ant in an interview with Mick Stingley in Esquire magazine, the album is a live record that lends itself to performance and will feature a kind of concept. It's a very old-fashioned, old-school, step-by-step album. He also described the album as very autobiographical, very personal. Ant also re-recorded a song for the album in tribute to the late Sex Pistols manager Malcolm McLaren, who died in April 2010, and who had once managed Adam and the Ants, and pioneered the Burundi beat. The track Who's a Goofy Bunny then had only previously been available as a demo recorded in the early 1980s. Malcolm was a sort of mentor in my life, Ant said, as close as you could get to a surrogate father. The title of the song is a reference to a nickname Ant gave McLaren on account of his prominent teeth. The album was released in January 2013. That's a painting by Mary Jane Ansell, a young British uh, lady artist, and I saw it in a window and I thought, I had the title, that, that's my gunner's daughter, so that's a painting, and the one on the back is a painting too, that's a, a young lady called Georgina, and she's a, a young model, and uh, I just fell in love with the painting, I thought, that's going on the cover, what instead I, of my moniker on the cover. Despite its DIY release, the album reached number 25 on the UK Albums chart, only one place lower than its predecessor Wonderful had managed when released by EMI nearly 18 years earlier and it had been running as high as number 8 in the midweek charts. It also peaked at number 3 on the UK independent album chart. AllMusic gave the album strong praise, rating it 4 out of 5 stars and concluding that its charm is in its mess and that Ant has never sounded this ambitious and arty since the days of Dirk Wears White Socks and Kings of the Wild Frontier. John Robb on the Louder Than War website said, It's rare at this stage of the game that anyone can be asked to be as non-compromising as this, let alone remember the creative power of following your own instinct. Long-time Ant fan and cool zombie video extra Simon Price praised the album in his review in The Independent, giving it 4 out of 5 stars. What this album isn't is an attempt to recapture Ant's glory days. There's no Burundi double drumming and no spaghetti western guitar. The Ant album it reminds me of most, in fact, is Dirk Wears White Socks. There's the same mid-fi production and the same mix of perversion. It's sprawling, overdue and not for everyone, but at least it's not a play-it-safe comeback with the hot producer of the day. And for that, the Hussar should be saluted. Q Magazine's David Quantic gave the album cautious praise, awarding it 3 out of 5 stars and describing it as full of spit and vinaigrette. His ninth record is Ramshackle, and there's a lot of it, but it's always entertaining. Everything is lively and bright-eyed, despite the demo-ish production. The, whole night the London Evening Standard reviewer John Azelwood expressed similar sentiments and gave an identical 3-star score. 
At 68 minutes, it's a sprawling mess, a stream of consciousness featuring tributes to Malcolm McLaren, Vivian Westwood, and rocker Vince Taylor, and the percussive thrill of ant music on Bullshit. Elsewhere, there are digs at Britain's mental health system on Shrink, self-appointed hard men, and the music industry that spat him out. A diligent editor and better production would have meant a wayward masterpiece, but this is an absorbing, troubling, sometimes brilliant album. A review in the Times was in the same vein, and with the same score. Will Hodgkinson wrote, In the early 1980s, Adamant was the best pop star on the planet. Some of that genius is in evidence on this comeback of sorts. But it comes as damaged goods, with a sense of frantic chaos rather than contained energy. The problem is that musical and lyrical themes come across as thrown together rather than making coherent sense. Still, there are some gems buried among the cartoonish throwaway moments. It's a scrappy, unfocused album, and too long at 17 tracks, but it does reveal the life force beating away inside a fascinating, original, troubled man. Your daily bread's a daily sin. Dave Simpson of The Guardian graded the album three stars out of five, but his review was more enthusiastic. He described the album as a rickety but entertaining mix of the best elements of his imperial period. Tribal glam stomps, razor slash T-Rex guitars, two drummer glitter beats, knowing homages to cult icons Vince Taylor and Vivian Westwood, and sex. Dirty Beast offers a sweeter, poppier ant than the glam punk of yore. While nothing quite reaches the dizzy heights of ant music, Shrink, a perhaps autobiographical romp about a man who needs medication to feel normal, is as riotous as he's sounded in three decades. Jeremy Allen in the NME was less complimentary though, awarding the album 4 out of 10, and considering it to be too lengthy and too experimental. This is an album that gives the middle finger to brevity, really long name and record, painfully so at times. There are flashes of the old brilliance on Shrink, but preceding number Hard Men Hard Blokes is as baffling as it is weird. Experimentalism meanders into the bizarre and unlistenable, that said, it's sort of heartening to have him back. In the Metro, John Lewis was similarly sceptical, awarding two stars out of five and calling it a patchy comeback album that often sounds like an unfinished, unmixed demo. There are moments on Cool Zombie, Vince Taylor, How Can I Say I Miss You, when Ant's pop majesty shines through, but others, Punk Young Girl, Dirty Beast and Sausage, that sound like two Ronnie's punk parodies. To promote the album, Ant played a series of concerts around the UK during April and May, culminating in a gig at the Roundhouse in Camden. A free concert in Rome took place on the 14th of June, and a second full-length US tour got underway on the 17th of July in San Diego, and ran to the 21st of September in Anaheim. Never his age. During early 2014, Ant began work on his next album, titled Bravest of the Brave. 
The album is still slated for a release, but not until 2022 at the earliest. An old flame called Vince Taylor. Oh. On the 19th of April 2014, Ant performed the full Adam and the Ants album Dirk Wears White Socks at the Hammersmith Apollo with a band including former Ants Dave Barbarossa and Lee Gorman. He then performed this album again with his regular band for four nights at the Islington Assembly Hall in November and a full UK tour in the spring of 2015. Ant toured the UK in 2016 and North America in early 2017 performing Adam and the Ants Kings of the Wild Frontier album in its entirety. But after a show in Boston, Massachusetts, Ant's guitarist and musical director Tom Edwards suddenly died due to suspected heart failure. He was just 41. On the 25th of June 2019, the New York Times magazine listed Adam Ant among hundreds of artists whose recordings were reportedly destroyed in the 2008 Universal Fire, which was covered in the band biographies episode on The Damned. Ant then undertook the Friend or Foe tour from September to December in 2019, performing the album in its entirety in an 18-date tour in North America, before returning to the UK for 26 shows. Um, I think that with me, it was a, really, I'd always taken a sort of, um, like examinations at school, I took them for very, very seriously, like my life depended on it. Um, which it didn't, but I imagined it did. And then I think I took on this very kind of overwork program. Anything I did, I had to work and work. And certainly when I got an opportunity to, I had a hit record, I just didn't stop working. That was one element. The other elements is obviously the sort of chemical conditions, the serotonin balances in the brain, which later on, fortunately, through the help of uh, my doctors, they explained to me why it happens, what are the trigger things that can trigger it off. But I think creative people, primarily because they have to make a living out of abstract ideas, this is something you check in. Um, you're, you're sort of constantly competing with yourself. And I think that um, it makes you quite vulnerable to very dark thoughts. And bipolar disorder is something that really means highs and lows. And an artist does need the dark as well as the light. I think uh, since uh, I took a 17 year period off, uh, during some of that time, I didn't ever imagine I'd make another record. I didn't imagine I'd ever go on stage again. Since then, I've done 130 concerts and uh, I've got a double album out. Wow. So that, you know, that's it. Really. There's people attempting to kill the stigma and the disgusting prejudice against anybody with mental illness. There is help available, but you have to know where it is and you have to be able to ask it. And you mustn't feel ashamed of asking for it either. You just have to put the work in. You know, I miss that chestnut one day at a time. It's like one hour at a time with this, mate. And when you're really sick, it's one second at a time. In the decade or so since his last period of hospitalisation, Adamant seems to have found a balance that's working for him. Instead of cranking out albums every other year, Releasing them through his own record label appears to have taken the pressure off from being constantly creative. He's been touring a lot, but at the same time, this is clearly his decision. In fact, the only thing that's really stopped him in the last 10 years has been the COVID-19 pandemic, which has put paid to a return to North America for a second round of the Friend or Foe tour. This was originally planned for April and May in 2020, 
and was then pushed back to 2021, and as of now is on hold until whenever it's safe to travel and organise large gatherings there. UK fans might well have the chance to see him sooner though, as lockdown is lifting he's playing the Sign of the Times Festival in Hertfordshire on Saturday the 21st of August 2021, and has also begun selling tickets to a tour in 2022 called Antics. Adamant was one of the most seminal figures in new wave music, with striking looks and visuals and infectious music. He's been through the mill a few times in his life, but has always bounced back stronger and more confident, and looks to continue to doing so until he can't. I'm still as aware of it as I was when I came on the show a number of years ago and I promoted the book. I think it, you know, you have to be aware of the situation. It's always with you and you, you spend day to day balancing yourself. Mm. I've learned to say no, so I, I know when I'm, I'm tired. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I've been very lucky because I made a decision um, over the last few years to not have the elephant in the room mm. to bring to discuss mental health, which mm. I did. And I've probably done over 100 interviews. And uh, I found the response from the fan, the amount of letters I've got from people saying about the situation, how the music's helped them. And, and hopefully, even if it's a few people, if I've led them into dealing with going to mind or importantly their GP they have to go and see the GP mm. everything else is secondary see your doctor and tell him and demand the time to explain anything long live adamant the monkey for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at Band Biogs, Instagram at Band Biographies, search on Facebook for Band Biographies or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 